0: Welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. Today's preacher is Donald Gray Barnhouse. He was able to make the Bible relevant to the modern man. In fact, his sermons have grown no less important to those who hear or read them today. After Dr. Barnhouse remarried, he settled into a home on an 82-acre farm near Doylestown, Pennsylvania. In today's program, Dr. Barnhouse delves into Luke chapter 4. Our scripture reading is in the fourth chapter of the gospel according to St. Luke. In the Bibles in the pews you'll find this on page 1076. Luke chapter 4. It's our custom to read consecutively and last week we completed the reading of chapter 3. And the great chapter that lies before us now is one which recounts what happened in Jesus' earliest ministry. Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. You know, some people don't like to realize that God has to lead us. The Holy Spirit leads us into the wilderness. Someone says, but I want to be led into an oasis where everything is springs. Well, anyone that's ever going to be used by God has, first of all, to be led into the wilderness. Paul would never have been able to do the work that he did if, first of all, he had not spent three years in the desert. And there must be a wilderness phase in the life of every believer. Every once in a while someone comes to me after some phase of teaching and say, I'm all confused. I say, praise God, I never knew of any Christian who ever started to grow in Bible study that didn't pass by a big time of confusion, throwing away everything that had been learned by tradition and coming to the solidity of the eternal rock of holy scripture. Being 40 days tempted of the devil... And you'll discover that it's 40 years and 60 years and whatever age you have. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, ended, he afterward hungered. The devil said unto him, Since thou art the Son of God, because the word if means two things in English. It means maybe it's true and maybe it isn't true. And you have to depend on the context. Since thou art the Son of God, because thou art the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. In other words, says Christ, I am not going to meet this temptation as God. I'm going to meet it in my humanity as man. And the devil, taking him up into an high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Now I want you to note three things. He showed him the kingdom, and the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee and the glory of them. For that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. This is Satan announcing, Mine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And this is why Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount established the Lord's Prayer and had the disciples in, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And when a person becomes a Christian, he turns away from the claims of Satan to possess kingdom, power, and glory and announces that he believes that it belongs to God alone. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, Since thou art the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. This was Satan's tempting him to the excess of fanaticism. You're the son of God. You're going to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, here's a word. And the devil comes with a verse out of the Bible, as the devil so often does. And the devil was saying, all you've got to do is go up there and jump off. And the people will say, oh, look, there's the Messiah. He's floating down. Therefore, he must be the Messiah. And you won't have to go to the cross and die. And Jesus answered what once more... Don't you come quoting the Bible to me because the devil, by misquoting and misapplying, can make truth into a lie. It is possible for a Bible verse to become a lie if it's used by Satan. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. This covers the turning of the water into wine, the healing of the nobleman's sons, the first miracles as recorded in John. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. Now remember, this is the very first part of the ministry of Christ. This antedates the Sermon on the Mount. This is at the very beginning, after he had done his first miracle. And he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. That's the hardest place for you to witness. That's in your own home, your own hometown, to your own group of friends who know you. And as his custom was, he stayed home from church and listened to television. No, no, he wasn't that American. As his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now, if the Lord felt his need to go and be with God's people, how much more? You should make it a definite rule of your life, always to be at the place where believers gather together for the public worship of our Lord. And he stood up for to read. He possibly was one of two or three people that knew how to read in that part of the country. And he went into the synagogue and stood up for to read. And there was delivered to him the book, a roll about as big as 30 yards of wool in a dry goods store. And they delivered unto him the big roll of the book of prophet Prophet Isaiah. and It didn't have any thumb indentation on the side so you could find out where it was. There was a stick on each end and he had to throw the roll into the air with his left hand and wind it up on the stick on the right hand until the column came up that he wanted to read. No chapters, no verses, just plain narrative written on sheepskin. And if you spread it all out, it'd be a 100 feet long. And if you'd wrap it all up in a roll with two sticks, one on each end, and that was the way they had their Bibles. There was no pocket testaments in those days. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it's written. That's very interesting. You know, I can generally tell a lot by a man by the way he looks for a verse. Most people, if you're ever in a discussion with anyone, just hand them a Bible and say, look up such and such a verse. They're as awkward with it as a bachelor is with a baby. And you can see. And he found the place. Now it's Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, period. And he closed the book. If you turn back to Isaiah, there's a comma there. And he would have gone on, and the day of vengeance of our God, and so on. All of the truths of the second coming. He stopped at this comma because in the Old Testament, Isaiah had described everything that Jesus was going to do at his first coming and his second coming. And they were all together in one passage. And here Jesus stopped at a comma because he was fulfilling the first coming at the first coming. And he will fulfill his second coming work at the second coming. He closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and he sat down. That was the way the teachers did. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Now we've been looking at Jesus. Now the Holy Spirit gives us the first view of the audience. The eyes of all that were were fastened on him. Now the pulpit again. He began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Here is a monumental statement. I am the object of Isaiah's prophecy. There are theologians that argue whether or not Jesus had a dawning messianic consciousness. This verse right here is the first verse that Jesus ever spoke in public ministry. This is before the Sermon on the Mount. This is the first verse that Jesus ever spoke. He read the scriptures and said the Old Testament is written about me. I am the object of the Old Testament prophecies. Now we go back to the audience. And all bear him witness. And wondered at the gracious words. The Greek is at the graciousness of his words. His style. Which proceeded out of his mouth. Jesus Christ himself. When he preached truth. People got out from under by talking about his style. They wondered at the graciousness of his words, and they said... Now remember, this is the audience. He'd already started preaching. Nobody got up in the meeting and said, is not this Joseph's son? It was... They whispered, this is this Joseph's son. I knew him when he was a boy. He played with my Johnny. That type of thing. Then now we come back to the pulpit again. And Jesus said unto them, you're going to say to me this proverb, schoolboy, strut your stuff. Now, that's exactly what it means, physician, heal thyself. It's hard to translate proverbs, but our high school students have done it for us by giving us the phrase in the last 20 years, all right, do your stuff. Put on a show. Let's see what you got. And Jesus said, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we've heard done in Capernaum, put on the same show. Do a little better here. You're in the home country now. And he said, Verily I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. Now I want you to note back in verse 22. Here they are, nodding, bobbing, smiling, gossiping, and he only gets five verses of his sermon out, and then they want to murder him. That's real preaching. My, when when a preacher can make an audience want to commit murder after a sermon, he has succeeded. The great trouble with people is that they go away after preaching and say, well, wasn't that nice? Let's see if we can get home in time to catch the 9.30 television show. And everything that has been said is dissipated. The Lord Jesus Christ preached in such a way that you either had to be converted or want to commit murder. And this is the way that truth must come out. If anybody goes out from here tonight... Sort of shrugging their shoulders and say, well, it was an intellectual exercise. Or he had some interesting points of view. Or, well, I suppose that's his opinion and everybody's entitled to his opinion. Then there's failure. But the Lord Jesus Christ said, Verily I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you the truth, and this is dangerous. And then he gives two illustrations. There were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all of the land, but unto none of them was Elijah sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And here the Lord just slaps the people in the face with truth as it must come if they're to be convicted and saved. And he said, when salvation comes, it comes by grace to those that do not deserve it. This woman was not given food because she had a covenant relationship with God. She wasn't given it because of any ethical good in her. God said, I'm going to give it to that widow and that Gentile town merely to show that salvation is for whomsoever I please. I'll have more to say about that later. Then he gives a second illustration, and they were ready to murder him. Many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except... Hitler, the German. Naaman, the Syrian. That's exactly as though Jesus said to a Jewish audience, I passed over all of the Jews who were lepers, and I passed over everybody else, and I went to Naaman, who was the general who had brought his armies into Palestine, killed the Jewish men, raped the Jewish women, carried the young people slaves. And God says, I'm going to heal him. Well, why? Well, because he does not deserve it. Don't forget, salvation is first of all for those who do not deserve it. And any man who thinks that he deserves salvation is going to be in hell. This is the heart of Christianity. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath. And they rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him away to the brow of the hill whereon their city was built that they might cast him down headlong. But he passing through the midst of them, went his way and came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. And in the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean demon and cried out with a loud voice saying, Let us alone! And there are some people that want to be left alone. There are some people that I've had men say to me, What right do you have nosing into other people's business and saying, Are you saved? We have the right, same right that we would to bang on your door and say, your house is on fire. Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know who thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, shut up, and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and hurt him not. They were all amazed and spake among themselves, saying, What a word is this? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And the reputation, the fame of him went out into every place of the country round about. And he arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. And Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever and they besought him for her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her and immediately she arose and ministered unto them. Now when the sun was setting, All they that had any sick with divers diseases brought them unto him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and he healed them. And demons also came out of many crying out and saying, Thou art Messiah, the Son of God. And he rebuking them, suffered them not to speak for they knew that he was Messiah. It was too early to reveal this fact to the general public. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desert place. And the people sought him and came unto him and stayed him that he should not depart from them and he said unto them i must preach the kingdom of god to other cities also for therefore am i sent and he preached in the synagogues of galilee may god bless to us this reading from his Word. i'm going to read this fifth chapter of luke in the revised standard version and you look at it in the king james and I think it helps us to understand each because a translation is always imperfect. And the more you can get to know about the depths of it, the better the knowledge. While the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genezareth, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. I want you to note this. This story, along with something in Matthew and in Luke, in Mark, give us the tremendous testimony of the truth to itself. In three stories, you have one line here, one line here, and one line there, and when you put them together, you see the whole story. In Matthew, it says, Jesus saw a group of men and said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. They straightway left their nets and followed him. Well, that's strange. If I should walk down Chestnut Street and see some working men building a skyscraper and I'd walk up to them and say, men, follow me and I'll make you plumbers instead of carpenters or something else. And if they immediately walked off the job, you'd say, that's strange. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. But if you go to Mark and if you go to Luke, you discover that the night before they went fishing and they'd caught nothing. And Jesus said, Have you how's been the fishing luck? And they said, well, we've fished all night and haven't caught anything. And he said, throw your nets over on the other side of the boat. Now, why they obeyed him, I don't know, except the strange force and compunction of God. But they did, and they took so many in that their nets break. So there's a line in one gospel that says their nets broke. Then it, in another gospel, it says they were mending their nets as you would if they broke. And in the third gospel, it says that Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And you can imagine mending their nets. And Peter said, look at this hole, boy, the one that got through there. I never had such fish in my life. Who is he? What is he? Who do you think they were talking about? That next morning, they were talking about Jesus Christ. And so when he came, there he is. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Quite naturally, they left. They were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had ceased speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great shoal of fish And as their nets were breaking, they beckoned to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. that's catching fish. Is it any wonder they were ready to follow him the next day? But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, henceforth you will be catching men. Now this is two conversations we know from Matthew, that part of that took place the next morning. But the whole thing is the picture of what happened. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and besought him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now there's another verse in Mark where a man came and said, Jesus, if you can, will you, you can heal my son. This man said, if you will, and the other man said, if you can. One questioned his ability and one questioned his willingness. And in this case he said, I will. And in the other case he said, I can. And this is what we must know. And our faith must lay hold upon the fact that Jesus can and Jesus will meet our needs. And Jesus, verse 13, he stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to the people. But so much the more the report went abroad concerning him. And great multitudes gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he withdrew to the wilderness and prayed. On one of those days, as he was teaching, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they sought to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed, through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who's this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? When Jesus perceived their questionings, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on the earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, take up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose before them and took up that on which he lay and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen strange things today. After this he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And he left everything and rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others sitting at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes murmured against his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now the tax collectors were in bad repute because they were collecting taxes for Caesar. They were Jews working for the occupying country. The same as if Frenchmen had worked for Germans, Hitler, during the war when Germany occupied France. And this was why the tax collectors were in such bad repute. They were collaborationists, Quislings, working for the occupying force against the best interests of the Jewish people. Verse 31. And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick need a physician. Now let that be the answer to the people who say that divine healing is in the Bible and that it's sin to call a doctor. Jesus said those that are sick need a doctor. He said so. All right, when you're sick then, you get the best medical advice you possibly can get. This is God's will, and Christ stated it right here. Those that are sick need the doctor. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In other words, if you think that you're righteous, you can't be saved. Because this does not mean that good people do not need salvation. This means that there are no good people in God's sight. I came not to call the righteous, that is those that think they do not need salvation. I came to call sinners. You remember that hymn we sing? Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready stands to save you, full of wisdom, grace, and power. Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. That's it. Now verse 33, And they said to him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink? And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in those days. He told them a parable also. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it upon an old garment. If he does, he'll tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wine skins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled. Now you see, if you give this King James translation to the average young person, new wine in old bottles, the bottles will burst. What are you talking about? Bottles can't crack and burst by putting something in them. But when you know that there were no glass bottles in those days, a bottle meant a container 300 years ago, and the Greek word meant a wineskin, because What they did was take when a lamb was killed, they took its skin off in such a way that they sewed it up and they sewed the feet round and round and you'll see them today in Jerusalem. There is the skin, the head of the lamb is cut off and they sew it right down the middle and all of the legs are sewed up tight and one of the legs is fitted with a screw top and the man puts the lamb skin over his shoulder with a rope and it hangs underneath his arm and he comes selling water because don't forget Jerusalem is a city of a million people with not one faucet. There is no water supply in the city of Jerusalem. All water is carried in in skins like this today in little hand trucks and all sorts of different containers and they, the Lord, when they take these same skins and put wine in them, Well, you have the fresh leather of the lamb and you have the fresh wine and as it ferments, it stretches and the leather will pull and pull. Well, Now, if the second year, if you put new wine in an old skin, it's already been stretched, well, if it started to expand in the fermentation uh, process, it would just rip the skin apart and all your wine would be out. And what the Lord is saying You don't take the new gospel and paste it on the old legalism of Moses. You have got to have an entirely new wineskin. Everything is new and fresh in the gospel. And so new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. And he's talking there about the interrelationship of the law and the gospel and the blessing in the word. May God bless to us this portion from the reading of the New Testament. You've been listening to Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Saturday and Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers.